Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Barbara Fountain and I am the fundraising and comms officer for Oracle Cancer Trust, the UK's leading head and neck cancer charity. It is our vision to ensure that everyone has the best chance of surviving head and neck cancers across the UK and we'll do this by enabling greater awareness, knowledge and understanding of head and neck cancers. Uh, we fund research, medical research, but we're also building a whole library of supportive um, materials to help people who are experiencing and are affected by head and neck cancer. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined today on our webinar about how to support a bereaved child by Debs from the charity Simon Says. Debs, if I can hand you over the floor to introduce yourself and introduce what Simon Says does. Lovely, thank you, Barbara. Thank you very much for inviting Simon Says to your webinar. Um, hi everyone, I'm Debs. I'm the Education Lead at Simon Says Child Bereavement Charity. Um, before this, I was a primary school teacher for um, about 30 years. I've worked um, in schools all around Hampshire, uh, working from uh, the, the year sixes all the way down to year R. So I've been working at Simon Says for about five months and it's, it's an amazing charity to be involved with. Fabulous, thank you. And can you tell us what Simon Says does on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so Simon Says is a charity that provides emotional support to children and young people in Hampshire who have sadly experienced the death of someone close to them. And our aim is to help children to cope with their grief and just to feel less alone, really, during one of the most difficult times of their life. Um, I've only been working, as I say, for five months for the charity, but my links go back to a time 12 years ago when, very sadly, my husband died um, from cancer. Um, he was 41 and our children were just seven and nine at the time. And we went to the Simon Says support groups and, you know, we felt suddenly a net of support around us. We didn't feel so alone. And the wonderful volunteers uh, supported us incredibly. And, it, and it's a complete privilege to be leading the, the education side of the, of the charity. Sounds like an amazing charity. Um, how long have you been running for? So it's been running for over 20 years now. Um, a lady called Sally Stanley set up the charity um, after her husband sadly died. And Sally found that there was no support in Hampshire at the time, 20 years ago, for her and her two boys. So um, along with uh, a, a few friends and a big fundraising event, um, they established Simon Says in his name and launched in April 2001. And how does Simon Says support uh, families and professionals? So we, we're quite a small team. Uh, we have six part-time professional staff and uh, approximately 140 very experienced, amazing volunteers. We're very much volunteer-led. Uh, we run a telephone support line that's run by really experienced volunteers. They receive over a thousand calls a year. And we also have seven monthly support groups across the county. And at these support groups, uh, we have a different theme running each month that gently leads the children through different aspects of grief, such as managing big emotions, memories, um, and their future, taking their special loved one with them. We have about 950 or so children attending our groups through the year. Um, we also have activity days for our young people, 
and we have two celebration events in the year. We have a, a, a summer celebration and a Christmas party, which is great fun. Um, and the education team that I'm part of, we support professionals who work or come in contact with bereaved children and young people, such as teaching staff, Hampshire Constabulary, Fire and Rescue, hospitals, hospices, children's services. Um, and the ways that we uh, support people um, include delivering staff training and workshops on child bereavement, advice on creating a bereavement policy and a bereavement toolbox, uh, we can come and help to deliver assemblies and workshops for children. And quite often we're, we're asked to come in to help support a bereavement group in that school when there's a few children that, are, that are need extra support. Um, in the community, we come into wellbeing fairs and induction weeks um, at Further Education. And we also support library and community events as well we're quite busy <laughs> yes sounds like it so just for for our guests help them understand like how many children are affected by bereavement each year and just how common is it in the classroom yeah if if we look at the recent statistics that we have available to us it's believed that a parent of a child under 18 dies every 20 minutes in the uk which is around 127 children bereaved every day. Um, so if we look at an average classroom, that works out to be about one in every 29 children that's very sadly bereaved of a parent or sibling. So that's one child in every class. And of course, that doesn't include other bereavements, such as um, the death of a grandparent or friend or other family member. Yeah, it can be a really difficult subject for, for people in general to talk about. Mm. What do children understand about death and how does this change as they grow? Yeah, I think it, it really depends on the individual child, um, their experiences so far, uh, their developmental stage rather than their age, maybe a child with additional needs. Uh, so we think of their developmental stage. Um, and knowing that child really well will help to find the most effective ways of supporting them. So I suppose, broadly speaking, if you think of uh, babies and very young children under two, they don't have any understanding of death. But long before they're able to talk, babies will react to an upset or a change if their significant person isn't, isn't there. Um, and then children from around three, they may start to use the word dead and, and sort of develop an awareness it's different to being alive. Um, but they won't understand what it really means. And if you think about the, the Disney films and, uh, you know, the cartoons, there's often the notion that it's not final. So they often have a literal understanding. Uh, they might say, a four-year-old might say, you know, my, my daddy has died but in the next breath later on say, but I hope he's back before my birthday. So, you know, they, they really don't understand the finality at that age. Um, how does the understanding of death change as a child slightly gets older, like into primary school age? So, yeah, I think the primary school, the five to eight year olds, they're starting to understand about the finality of death. They may have experienced a pet dying, which can be really scary, um, but they often go into this magical thinking process. So thinking that they might be able to do something to change the outcome. So if I'm really good, daddy might come back, you know, just 
believing they can maybe influence the outcome. And they may have really big feelings, but they haven't got the vocabulary yet to explain, you know, the emotion. And then children from around nine, as I say, it's very, you know, varied depending on the child, to around 12, that will understand more about the finality of death. They are starting to become more aware of the personal impact of it. Um, and they will now have the vocabulary to attach to their thoughts and feelings. And that age group, they're going through a lot of transitions, aren't they, in their life, a lot of transitions in their education as well. So that can be quite difficult when they're also experiencing grief. How, how is it with teenagers? We sort of think of them as little adults. Like, do they understand death in the same way an adult would? I think, yeah, in theory, they could have an adult understanding. But, of course, that depends on their experience of grief. Um, our, our bereavement and loss in us is shaped largely by what's gone before and how our family unit deals with it, whether it's talked about. Um, so each child's different. In theory, they have an understanding of the finality and they're thinking about its impact on their future, living their life without their special person. Um, I know my children kept having to re-go through different grief as they were going through their, their childhood um, and questioning the meaning of life. You know, those big questions come up at that age. Yeah, big questions for us as adults as well. Yeah. Like language that we use, what do the terms bereavement and grief actually mean, and what's the difference between the two? So um, I quite like the the the, like, the likening by Dr. Richard Wilson. He was a, a consultant paediatrician, retired now, but he likened it to a cut. So bereavement being the wound, you know, the death of your loved one, and then the grief is the pain, the inflammation around the wound so there's no right or wrong way to grieve it can last a long time and leave a scar but it is the process by which you know healing can occur so i think likening it to to, an, to a cut is quite useful isn't it mm. and how does the death of a family member affect a very young child and what sort of behavior might we see what sort of behavior changes might we see so I think for the very young age, um, up to about three or four, we'll be watching more their behaviour rather than necessarily what they're going to say because they may not have all that vocabulary uh, to explain their emotions. So we might see that they might become more clingy or we may see anger and tantrums, some regression in their uh, behaviour, maybe making little backward steps in their development, such as toilet training, sleep difficulties, wanting a blanket that they had when they were really tiny, and they might become withdrawn. But all these behaviours are really, really normal in the context of grief. And I think the main way for these little ones is just giving them lots and lots of contact and cuddles, reassurance, try and keep the routines and boundaries of behaviour as much as possible and have those familiar sensory uh, comforts around them really. And then moving on to primary school age children, how might they respond um, to grief at home or in school? 
So I think if we think about the five to 10 year olds, we may see them displaying more somatic symptoms. So they're experiencing it in their bodies um, and it can often feel like a tummy ache or it can feel like a headache. Um, I know when I was teaching, uh, children would come and say, I've got a tummy ache, but, but actually they were feeling a little bit scared, a little bit sad, a bit tired and a bit cross. And there are so many competing feelings in them they just feel it like a sort of tight tummy ache, yuck in their tummies. They just know they're not happy. And they might just retreat into themselves. They might become more aggressive. All or any of these are completely normal with this age group. Um, I think the things that we can do to help them is show that you're available, that, that you're there to, to answer questions. Give them patience and reassurance. Keep those boundaries, as I said, the same as the little ones. Keep them uh, so they're feeling secure. Um, and give them space and time to play, to be distracted, and to withdraw if they need to. And, and there's lots of creative ways. We do a lot of work in, in our support groups and, and focus it through creative work because actually painting or Play-Doh or clay lego puppets all of those things are really powerful really soothing for children and it gives them an outlet which is really important and um, it helps them to to release that tension yeah um, um what kind of things can we help to support moving children? with the younger age group or the teens yes yes sorry the I skipped the question, did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we go on to the teens. The teens. And as, yeah, I mean, the teens are, you know, they can have some really intense feelings. Um, bereavement can feel really overwhelming. It can bring a lot of additional changes. Um, the ripples of a bereavement can be big. You know, they might have to move house. There could be a step family. They might have to change their school. Um, all these things can really impact um, on our young people. Um, they may feel, what's the point? What's the point of, of working hard at school or, or doing social activities? And, and they might find it difficult to, just to talk. Um, they can, you know, feel very out of control. So I think that the main three things I would say is keep keep the boundaries again, keep the boundaries, but with compassion so that you're understanding these big emotions that can feel really scary for them. Giving young people a choice, giving them an option and remaining available. Um, we have a young people's group. So all of our groups um, take children up to 18. And one of our groups is particularly for children from 11 to 18. Um, and they do things like create memory boxes, do photo collages, you know, scrapbooks. Um, if it's a young person who loves writing, they could do journaling, that kind of thing, writing letters to their special person. If they love music, they could create a playlist or lyrics to a song. Um, Tom Daly did a, a great Desert Island Discs. Um, he was talking about the loss of his, losing his dad and why music's so important. Um, so that's that's really important. And crafting as well. I've got some lovely little, we do all sorts of things like memory jars, sand memory jars with a different colour to represent a memory. There's lots of different crafting activities. Um, 
So I think, you know, for our teens becoming adults, friendships become really important at that age as well. And that's a good source of support for them. When a, when a household is like turned upside down due to a death of a loved one, um, how do we protect children? Like, is it okay for them to see us upset? Or should it's, we avoid it? It's a tricky one, isn't it? We want to protect our children, but we we have to be real at the same time. And, and you know, every parent will know children right from babies will pick up on tension and distress and anxiety. I remember, you know, having cried a lot and then came back into the room and my little seven-year-old said, um, you're smiling, but your eyes are sad. You know, they, they just know, don't they? Um, I think children just want to give us a cuddle as well. And I think that's really lovely because it shows that the child's taking part, helping you but also they're seeing that you can survive it, that you you got upset, but actually now you're making the dinner and you're giving me a bath and you're reading me a story. So grief's messy. It's, it's painful, it's exhausting, and we oscillate between grieving and these sort of restorative activities. And I think it's really good to model that to children so that they can see, you know, that both can happen. What is if it's the other way around? So a grieving child that's upset, should we distract? Again, we don't like to see children upset, do we? Um, we just automatically want to make it better. But I think it's really important with grieving that they are allowed time to be sad and then we let them naturally recover. And actually, this is a process in children called puddle jumping. So one minute they're feeling really sad and then in their own time, they naturally jump out and say, oh, what's for dinner? So it's important, I think, just to support them being the children they are. You know, don't dig the sadness out of them. Don't, don't try and block it either. They're, they're trying to process and grieving's a, a natural process and a very difficult one. Hmm. So when we think of language, um, and we use languages, like words like death, died, dead, it feels really harsh. Should we actually use that type of terminology? Yeah, I'm, I'm asked this a lot, actually. It's a really common question, and, and adults talk about it very differently to children, actually. Uh, but children do have a great capacity to deal with the harsh realities, as long as they're told something in an age-appropriate way. Um, you know, a very sad truth is better than uncertainty and confusion because what a child doesn't know, they will make it up. And that can often be more frightening. So if we use phrases such as they, you know, they've gone to sleep or they've passed away or lost, we, we think they're nice kinder words, but actually they're just sort of adding a layer of confusion for children. Um, to say we lost it's them. It's terrifying as well. To yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we often do have children coming that are having sleep difficulties. And one of the reasons why is because they were not necessarily told, but they might hear it on the phone. They might hear it, you know, in other places. Um, and if we lost them, well, where are they? Uh, can, can I go and find them? Hmm. 
passed away is one that we use a lot as adults, don't we? But actually for children in school, we use that word pass to pass a ball back and forth, for instance. It's a, it's a back and forth sort of language, pass. So where have they passed to? Can they pass back? It's that sort of language. So I think to use the words died and dead are important with children. And, you know, they, they will understand that better. You're not adding a, la a layer of confusion there. Mm. Now, I have a little niece and she is brilliant at asking me most awkward questions and I never know how to answer. And, and I can only imagine that a bereaved child would be finding good ways of asking quite difficult questions. Yes. How, how should we tackle them? And I imagine they're asking it just before they go to sleep. <laughs> it's when those questions normally come about. Um, we, we sometimes suggest that it's, it's useful to think of it like building a jigsaw. So start with one or two pieces of information that fit, makes sense for that child, and then follow the child's lead. Add more information as time passes and as they mature. And often, if they're asking the question, then they're ready to hear what the answer is in an age-appropriate way and to take on a bigger picture. Um, they're going to ask the, the same question over and over again. Um, and that's them trying to process it. Um, it's really important that they can keep doing that over and over again. Sometimes it's not about getting the information. It's just because they're trying to work out that it's it's happened, that it's mm -hmm. not their imagination, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. And when we think of children, obviously their day-to-day -day life, life will be very disrupted by sudden or even expected death of a loved one. And uh, one of the questions that has been put to us is, should children take a lot of time off school after a bereavement? Well, what's your recommendation? Yeah, I think, I mean, school can be a really safe, secure, should be a really safe, secure place for children. And it's a reminder to a child that not everything's changed in their life. There's all of that at school is, is very comforting. It's, it's familiar and stable. So I think some children want to come back to school very soon. Some children may need a few more days at home, but in our experience, the longer they're away, the harder it can be. So returning after school, um, to, to school after the death of someone is really important, but that it's handled sensitively and the child's, you know, part of, of how it's managed, you know, they're asked how it's managed. I think to include them in it is important. Mm. Speaking of schools and also being conscious that we'll have lots of educators joining the webinar today, how can teachers support bereaved children? What can be helpful to have in place in schools? I think the first thing I would I would ask um, teaching staff is to see if your school has a bereavement policy. Um, it's so, so helpful. And it means that a school's really well prepared. It has plans in place uh, to deal with um, death, grief and bereavement. It, it can outline how to support a bereaved pupil or a member of staff and how to react to a critical incident that you might have in school. Um, such as the death of someone in that school community. We have templates on our website. Um, there's also templates on Child Bereavement UK, which is a national 
bereavement website. Um, but I think a few, a few key things that I would say is to have a link person uh, attached to that family. It might be the LSA, the ELSA, the teacher. Acknowledge that death of the family. It's really important. Send a card, make that phone call, let them know you're there. Um, ask what the child's been told. It's really important. And then what does the child understand? Because actually that could be very, very different. Keep that flexible normality. Uh, be consistent with behaviour, but build in space for that child. So maybe the older ones might have a little timeout card on their table or a symbol, a mood stone, something that will indicate that they're being overwhelmed and they need a safe space to go to. And they may not want to talk in that space. They may just want to do some drawing. You know, and the little ones might want to bring in something, a photo of their loved one or a bit of material or a cuddly toy, something, you know, that, that can stay in their bag, maybe. And I think to be to be aware that bereavement can hit us out of the blue um, and for staff just to be aware of dates, you know, diary date, the date of death. Um, birthdays, Christmas, all of these things can be very difficult for family. Parents' evenings, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Try and give the children advance warning. And don't assume that they might not want to make a card because if a child's dad's died, they may very well want to make a card and they might want to take it to the grave or a special place at home. It's really important to have just an open dialogue um, and have that conversation with pupils. Mm. You sort of alluded to it there in your last answer that it doesn't have a timetable, it doesn't have a start and an end point. So mm -hmm. grief reactions may not show themselves straight away. There. So how can school staff or other loved ones watch out for things over time? Yeah, I think um, quite often it can be months, even years after the event when something might bubble up at school. Um, they may have uh, come to a significant time or you know, a stage of development. And remember, a bereaved child will always be a bereaved child. And so their support should be ongoing for the whole time they're at, at the school. And I think to make sure there are really clear transition pr procedures for bereaved children between classes and schools. The school that I worked in before I started here had really good transition procedures and, and all our children were noted, any significant bereavements were noted for that child and, and went up with them because it's the worst thing in the world for a family to keep saying their story over and over again. Um, and the other thing to just to say is that adults in school have the most amazing ability to hold the hope for a young, a young person or a child. So they can look ahead gently to milestones that child might do, just gently, hobbies, events, things that they might have to look forward to. It's what we, as Simon says, we're very much about giving hope um, and just gently remind them that they, they still have lots of things to look forward to and they can still laugh, they can have fun, um, and help them to see that they're not always going to feel like this. I just got a really important um, kind of final question, but I probably will have more. But when things escalate, 
Um, what are the things that we need to watch out that may indicate that a child needs more specialist help? I think probably I would say the time to be concerned is if those difficult behaviours are prolonged over a long period of time, um, they're impacting on their day-to-day -day coping and functioning, such as schoolwork, homework, getting through the day. You know, if those things are really getting difficult, it might then be a helpful space to explore what's going on. Um, and another thing to consider, what was their behaviour before the bereavement? Are the things that we're observing a very different child to before the loss? So those kind of things to, to keep in mind, I think. Just to wrap up today, um, how would you summarise the top advice that we should keep in mind when supporting a bereaved child, whether that be as a parent, a friend, a loved one or an educator? I think probably the top things I would say is to have that clear and honest language that children will understand. Reassure the child they're not to blame in any way and that all these different feelings are okay. Keep those routines and boundaries in place. Make sure they feel secure love and support and give them space and time to talk about what's happened, ask questions and reassure them that it won't always feel this difficult. Every child's unique and they're all cope in their own way. There isn't a magic formula. We can't fix it. Grief is a necessary and normal reaction to bereavement. Um, Children don't need us to be superheroes. They just need us to love them and support them. What a lovely sentiment. And just, um, I'm just conscious that we have people joining us from the entire country, all around the country. I know that you are a local service. Um, if someone is looking for support, um, where is the best place for them to go? If you go on to Child Bereavement UK, they are a national website. Um, and the Childhood Bereavement Network as well. And you can put in your postcode and they will tell you what local help is in your area. Winston's Wish is also another very good national website for child bereavement. Lovely, thank you so much. And with that, um, our webinar, so to speak, concludes. Thank you very much for joining us, Debs.